When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. So there's a lot of fuss going on right now about the U.S. Postal Service, and there have been problems some people are experiencing with their mail delivery, Uh, lots of reports about that around the United States, as we have a new Postmaster General who very much objects to the way the Postal Service has been run and has issued orders that require that mail be delayed rather than have postal carriers work any overtime or anything that might increase costs. In addition, there's been a fight about funding for the Postal Service that is part of emergency money because of coronavirus. If you're not aware, the Postal Service has had a significant decline in the amount of mail trending right with everything that's been going on with the economy. So the fight extends to an unfortunate statement the president made about wanting to starve the Postal Service of money to make it difficult for people to have their ballots counted if they voted by mail. And That set off a firestorm in political Washington. But I want to step back from all of that, what the Democrats are saying, what the president said, everything involving the Postal Service, and let's get down to where the issue is. The Postal Service has been losing significant volume of mail for years and is replacing that piece by piece with package delivery as we do more and more ordering online. But the Postal Service had two big streams of bread and butter, if you will. One was delivery of first-class mail, mostly business mail. And the second was junk mail that came to our homes. You probably have noticed that the amount of junk mail we're receiving has gone down, 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 down. And this is not related to this year. The trends have been clear for years And the Postal Service has been facing a significant decline in the amount of mail and the revenue that comes with it, creating severe financial difficulties for the Postal Service. So as you have maybe heard me over the years, I've talked about how we should consider going to mail delivery three days a week, delivering to half of addresses Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the others Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And if, let's say, a credit card processor wants to have mail delivery seven days a week, they can pay extra for it at the bank if that's important to them. But that three-day-a-week delivery would significantly reduce the costs and deal with the reality that the delivery of first-class mail is not as critical as it used to be because of the ability to communicate electronically. 
the post office is in the U.S. Constitution. It was one of the most important parts of after the failure of the Articles of Confederation, if you know your U.S. history, that when the uh, Constitution was drafted in 1787 to replace the failed Articles of Confederation, one of the things they were trying to do is take 13 states that were acting almost as if they were each their own country and unify them. And one way that they wanted to do that was with the post office. That was the one place that you could communicate across the 13 states easily and, well, ultimately easily. But the idea was that it was so important to tie this new nation together. And that's why it's constitutional. So it is something that is a government service, even though many other countries have privatized their postal operations. It would be hard to do that the way it was drafted into the Constitution. But the Postal Service is going to require significant reform because of the change in the nature of its business. And the time to do that really is after the November election so that neither political party's adherents feel like the game is being fixed to their disfavor. But reform absolutely is required and necessary. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternating asking the questions you posted. And Kim, who do you have a question from? All right. Up first today is Rui. Rui is from Florida. And Rui says, hello, Clark. Somebody might have already asked you this question, but my kid is about to get her driver's license. Should she be getting her own car insurance in case she gets into an accident and then gets sued? Or should we just put her on our car insurance? We're not millionaires. We're just trying to protect the little bit of assets that we have. That is a great question. And as a general rule, as you're dependent, you are not going to be able to shelter yourself from liability if your child does have an accident that you are, that, sh- that your child's held responsible for. Ultimately, whether she's on her own insurance or yours, you will still face liability risk. Now, as far as whether a child is best off with his or her own policy as a new driver or being on yours, that varies Uh, depending on the insurer and the state, in terms of the cost. Uh, As a general rule, having a teen driver without having his or her own vehicle, but one that you allow them to drive that's a household vehicle, more often than not will be a cheaper way to insure that child's driving. But it will be a bill shock. I mean, unbelievable bill shock. And that's why now... Uh, More than a third of kids do not get a driver's license till after their 18th birthday because the enormous cost of insuring a 16 or 17-year-old. One thing you should consider is, since you're worried about protecting your assets, you may or may not have enough liability coverage right now, just in general. And there is an overlay you can have on top of what your auto or homeowners provides in liability. It's called an umbrella insurance policy. They tend to be incredibly inexpensive for what you get. A couple of hundred dollars for a million additional dollars 
of liability. And for people who have a lot of assets, you want to have a multi-million dollar umbrella. Joel? Clark Alyssa in Ohio says, I'm in the beginning phases of building a house. I've been pre-approved for a mortgage and it's currently in underwriting. I'm concerned after hearing on your show that so many credit card companies are lowering credit limits and closing cards. I currently have three credit cards, two of which are with the same company. Since the mortgage company will be checking my credit again just prior to closing a few months from now, what can I do to ensure that this does not happen to me or that my score will not drop if it does? So this is a great question. If, if the bank that you have two cards from decides to can both of your cards at once, this is a terrible problem. If instead they reduce your limits on cards or the other bank that you have the one other card from reduce limits on you, then what you will need to do is pay down balances aggressively. You want to have your ratio, that's the amount of outstanding credit card debt you have, versus your credit limit at below 30%. So you don't mess up your credit standing and your score when you're going to apply for that mortgage. So let's take an example. Let's say your credit limit with a card was $10,000 and you owe $3,000. Let's say you're running a balance, you owe $3,000 on it. Your ratio is 30%. If they cut you to $5,000, your ratio is now 60%. And you're toast in getting that mortgage in that case. You're too close to doing the mortgage to apply for additional cards. You don't want those recent applications for credit to cause you some harm. So the most important thing you can do with banks reducing available credit limits, which is more often than closing accounts, is to reduce what you owe so that your ratios remain in that sweet spot below 30% use of available credit, regardless of what happens down the road. Kim? Rochelle in Utah says, can you go over what we need to know about the executive order payroll tax deferral? I'm in a situation where I don't need the extra monthly cash flow, and I don't want to get stuck with a sizable bill once the deferral ends. Can we opt out and continue to pay our taxes? Or should we be setting aside money in a savings account to pay the future tax? Appreciate your guidance. All right. So this is a great question. This is a case where executive orders don't function well at all with the president frustrated at the failure of reaching a deal with the Congress on another coronavirus stimulus package. This was one of the executive orders issued about payroll tax. Now, as you may have heard me say, I'm opposed to holidays for payroll tax that have happened in the past with both Democratic presidents and Republican presidents. I oppose this because this is the core of funding for Social Security, and I want it left alone because so many of our senior citizens depend on Social Security and don't need to worry about whether the money's coming in to fund their Social Security. The problem with this is that it is only a deferral. So the money would have to be made up later, both the employer half and the, the employee half. So as of now, employers very heavily are not going to participate in this. And if you work for a company and they do, then you're right to put the money aside and save it in case it needs to be paid back later. This is a 
kind of a messy situation here. Joel? Clark Elizabeth in Georgia says, my husband and I plan to move next spring. I want to know, Clark, if you feel like there's a downside to using one of the low-cost real estate agents. Think a company like Redfin, which only takes 1% of commission from the sale. We live in a neighborhood in which homes typically sell very fast. And we're hoping to save money in this way. I just wasn't sure if this was a great option because it seems like most people are still using traditional real estate agents. Yeah, this is a great question that's more art than science. The overall commissions for real estate agents have been declining around the country as people avail themselves of more and more alternative means and the discounters. The discounters, you know, you're, you're giving up some services in return for giving up a lot less money at the closing table. So there is a trade-off, and there are a number of these discounters where you end up taking on additional responsibilities, maybe showings, that kind of thing. Uh, not the case with Redfin. But the thing is, if properties sell very quickly in your neighborhood, the network of agents that sell so much of the real estate in your neighborhood may not be as key. Besides, the buyer they bring may be one of these top-selling agents in an area who will still get their part of the action, typically. So you can't cut their commission to nothing. It's the commission for, as a listing agent, that you cut for Redfin. So as far as doing this, if the market's strong, give it a try. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Curtis is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Curtis. Hey, Clark. Thanks for having me on. Certainly, Curtis. You and your wife both have 403b plans so are you teachers or what do you both do for a living yes we're both teachers we're both uh high school teachers in connecticut and how are you going to be teaching this next semester how's it going to work they're still trying to figure that out but probably a hybrid of in-person and distance learning and how are you and your spouse feeling about being in person i think because we're young and relatively healthy i think we we're okay with it. You know, we want to make sure we're safe, but we'll, we'll make it work. Yeah, you know, you point out something so valid, and it's older faculty and staff members in a school district that face the great health threat. And right. being young, you can be there for the kids. And it's, I would assume it's easier. I know for my son, it was miserable for him doing online learning in the spring. For you as a teacher, is it easier as well, teaching in person versus online? Definitely. And there's so many greater benefits to the students, to the in-person learning. So I'm hopeful right. that we can make it work. Well, how can I be of service to the two of you? So you mentioned we have the 403Bs, and uh, we're looking to increase our retirement contributions this year. Uh, and I listen to your show all the time. I hear about the Roth IRAs. So... I just was curious, what would be a better option for us uh, to put more money into our 403Bs or to open up Roth IRAs or a combination? 
Um, what do you think? Almost 100% of the time, when you have a 403B as your alternate, you're better off doing the Roth IRA as your investment tool. Because the problem with 403Bs is they tend to be very fee-heavy. And if you go into a Roth IRA with one of my favorite low-cost companies, then your money is going to work for you and for your wife. You don't have to worry about the layer of fee on top of fee on top of fee that the layers that are imposed by the insurance companies that oversee most 403B plans. So if you have the discipline, each of you, to set up where you're popping money into that Roth IRA regularly, then definitely the Roth IRA option for each of you. Have you heard me talk about why I like the target retirement fund choice in those? I have, yes. So uh, if if it were me and I was in your position, that's what I would do. And I'll give you, there are two exceptions. And you can tell me if either applies to you. If okay. your 403B plan that each of you have offered to you is run by TIA, T-I-A-A, or by Fidelity Investments. Do either of you have that as an option where you teach? Um, you know, I'll have to look a little closer if it's an option. We're not with either of those currently. Oh, then, um, then if you're not with either of them, then definitely do the, uh, the Roth IRA with one of my low-cost choices. And that would be okay. the best place for you to build your money. And good luck to both of you. I hope you get to go in the classroom and teach where you'd prefer and that both of you stay safe and healthy. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. The student loan situation in the United States is like a hot potato that nobody knows exactly what to do with because the student loan debt in the United States is so, so large that we've got a very significant number of student loan borrowers that are in default, that have not been able to make their payments, and it has been brutal for them, brutal for us as taxpayers as these bills are not paid. And do you know there's nearly 50 million Americans with federal student loan debt? 5-0 million? That's gigantic. And so I also believe that student loan debt is core to why student tuitions have risen way, 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 way beyond the rate of inflation. And I'll tell you, there's an interesting comparison. Private school tuitions for kids K through 12 have gone up at much slower rates than college tuitions because there is no federal student loan program that takes away the market discipline about how you run a private elementary, middle, or high school. But the federal student loan program has taken that away from how the college environment works. And colleges tend to run as cost plus operations with the cost going way beyond families' abilities to afford. So then a student with unlimited borrowing ability essentially borrows himself or herself into oblivion and then they get out in the work world 
in huge numbers can't pay their debt. So how do we dig our way out of it? Right now we're in a time period because of coronavirus where loan payments don't have to be made and there's no interest accruing through September. There is an executive order that may extend parts of that till December. We'll see how that plays. But it doesn't solve the underlying problem, which is people have student loan debt that they just can't hang with. So I want to turn to an idea from Lamar Alexander. He's a Republican senator who used to be the uh, head of education, secretary of education. And he has come up with an idea that I think is a brilliant way to deal with the student loan mess we have going on. And it is to eliminate all the crazy different payment programs that exist today and come up basically with one. And that's an income-based repayment plan where 10% of what's known as your discretionary income would be the amount you'd be expected to pay on your student loans each month. Uh, Discretionary income excludes food and what you pay for housing. So the rest of it, you'd have to pay 10% of the remaining income towards your student loans each month. And as long as you stayed current, at the end of 20 years under his proposal, your student loans would be forgiven for undergraduate students, people who go to um, law school, become doctors, go to get a master's, whatever. In that case, you'd still be expected to do the 10% of your discretionary income. And then after 25 years, any remaining balance would be forgiven. I really, really love this because I would prefer that we reduce the ease of access to student loans to eliminate the enormous borrowing and create that price discipline I'm looking for from colleges and universities. But we already have these nearly 50 million people with all these loans. So giving people a simple system that would be understandable, that would keep it an affordable portion of your check. And by the way, people who are unemployed or have Uh, extremely low incomes, they would have no money considered to be discretionary and they'd be considered to be current even if they weren't paying in that year, which may freak some people out, but it keeps people from having this burden on them the rest of their lives. So I think it's a great idea. It's the kind of direction we should be looking at. But for future students, please, as parents, if you're looking at colleges for a son or daughter, they've got a place in mind they really want to go to, be very mindful and wary about the borrowing of money. The college attended has a lot less to do with how your son or daughter is going to do in life than you might imagine but the debt from that college will follow them. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com ask. So, Kim and Joel, who's up next? 
That would be me. And this is from Dylan in Illinois. Dylan says, I'm in the process of shopping for an engagement ring. Congratulations. Well, he hasn't popped the question yet, actually, but I'm sure congratulations will still be in order. Anyway, so he's shopping and he's leaning towards online stores. He's looking at like Blue Nile and James Allen and places like that. And he says they seem to have a great reputation for quality and value with very friendly return policies. However, I'm nervous about spending up to $10,000 on a ring sight unseen. The websites that I'm looking at offer 30-day risk-free returns, but I don't think I'm going to be popping the question for another couple of months. Do you have any suggestions with buying rings online, and should I be taking it to a local jeweler to make sure it's good enough? All right, those are great questions. One additional place I want you to look at is Costco Wholesale. Costco has the most liberal return policy on its diamonds, pretty much an unlimited return rate. Uh, Second, wait to buy till you know you're less than 30 days from popping the question. And that will be a big protection for you with any of the online sellers and that you'll have that window if she doesn't like it or, well, whatever, that you'd be able to return that diamond for a full refund. I know a lot of people who've ended up stuck with diamonds because of various circumstances. So having return rights for a refund, not for a credit, is core and key. On having a diamond checked out that you would buy from Costco or buy from any online seller, jewelry stores aren't going to be thrilled to see you because they're going to be like, well, here you are. You bought it somewhere else. But what you do is you hire a graduate gemologist to map that stone and tell you what you've actually got, that you have what was sold to you in terms of color clarity and carat weight. And so graduate gemologists are the experts in the industry, and there may be some grading differences from one gemologist to another, but they're usually pretty spot on with each other. And congratulations again. Joel? Clark Bryan in West Virginia says, I'm reading multiple articles stating that there will be another rush on grocery items soon due to another wave of COVID. So what do you recommend as like a good rule of thumb in order to have enough supplies on hand versus like overstocking and overbuying? Sure. This is a wonderful question because it's possible that we will have an intensity of coronavirus, but nobody knows for sure coming in the fall. And it could lead to some panic buying. But the trends are are pretty clear that the two areas we're having the most shortage with in the grocery aisle are frozen foods and canned goods, both for the same reason. If people felt like they had to shelter in place for a long period of time, that they would have supplies of food that would be uh, semi-perishable, that would have long shelf lives. And that area remains tough. Otherwise, the availability of groceries is close to normal historical averages, again, after a steep problem in March and April. I think the food industry has adjusted, and the possibility that a second increase in coronavirus would lead to extreme shortages of groceries I don't think so. There may be spot items that'll be out, but I would not worry excessively about it. I mean, think about where it looked like we wouldn't have toilet paper available again for years, and now nobody seems to be interested in buying toilet paper. 
Kim? Kristen in Connecticut says, my husband is a landscaper slash tree guy. We don't have great health insurance, but right now I'm thinking if he got hurt, I probably need to get him disability insurance. I know you said once that it wasn't too expensive and we're looking to protect ourselves if something happens. So the choice of profession matters. And so the work that your husband does would make his disability insurance a more expensive kind of thing. So what I'm going to recommend is if your husband is a member of a regional or state trade association for the landscaping industry, they may offer a policy that he can buy into for disability insurance. And a lot of industries, trade associations, will, for their members, have a preferred vendor for various types of insurance and specifically in his case, the disability. If that's not the case and not available, then he's going to need a disability insurance broker to get quotes for him, but know that his costs will not be thrifty. It will be a fairly expensive purchase because there's a lot more danger in his work than there is somebody who's pushing a pencil in an office. We wouldn't say pushing a pencil in an office anymore. Typing on a laptop all day, let's say that. Joel? Clark Larry in Michigan says, I've been working for home for the past four months. I used to have a 64-mile round-trip commute. I called my auto insurance company the other day to ask if the insurance premium could be lowered, and they said no. Hard to believe this is true, though, since I now only drive about 200 miles a month. What advice do you have for me? Well, I don't know who you were talking to, your auto insurer, because one of the factors that adjusts premiums with most insurers is estimated number of annual miles on a vehicle. And so if you're driving essentially nothing compared to what you used to drive, that should have led to an adjustment. The alternative available in more and more states now is pay-by-the-mile auto insurance. And this is something whose, whose time definitely came because of coronavirus. It was out there but not very noticed or popular before. But it would be a feast and famine for you. It would be enormously beneficial to you right now if you switch to a by-the-mile insurer but when you start doing that ultra-long commute again, if you do, then you'd be paying a pretty penny for your insurance. But shop your insurance around to see what others might have for you, even of traditional insurers. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Amy joins us on the Clark Howard Show. And Amy, you are really on a solid trend line to improve your finances. Tell me what you've been up to this year. I have been putting every dime I have toward debt. Um, So I'm down about $14,000 from the beginning of the year when I started listening to you. I love you, by the way. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping within the next 18 months to um, be debt-free. So I'm trying to figure out what I need to do about retirement. So tell me um, about the debts. What kind of debts have you had? Um, credit card debt and um, a high-interest loan. And the um, high-interest loan, is that some kind of personal loan? It was a personal loan, yes. And so how much, what's the interest rate on that personal loan and how much balance um, do you owe on it? It was, it's paid off now. Oh, then skip um, that one. So the credit okay. cards, you paid off so far 14000 in debt, which is extraordinary in a short number of months. And how much yes. is left? Um, I don't owe anything on the credit cards. Um, what I owe on now is my house and my vehicle. Okay, you're not saying you're going to be mortgage debt-free by the end of next year, are you? I'm hoping so. What? That's that's my goal. You hope by the end of next year to be completely, totally, 100% debt-free? Yes. All right. Now, I love that. That's my goal. I love that, but I always have to ask when somebody tells me that, what are you doing in terms of savings or retirement money? Um, I currently right now am only uh, putting in about $100 per paycheck toward my retirement, and I don't have any savings. So, um, Okay, so before you proceed on a path of paying off the mortgage or the car loan, since you've gotten rid of that personal loan and you've gotten rid of the credit card debt, I know this is going to be weird because you've been on what's been such a wonderful path getting control of your money, I want you to build up some rainy day money. Okay. The car loan you have, tell me about it. How much do you owe and how much time's left on it? Um, I believe, I want to say there's like three more years on it and I owe about 19000 Okay. And do you know what interest rate you're paying on that? I believe it's, 17%. 17%? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. I'm going to modify my advice. So I want to get rid of the car first. Yeah, I got it. I'm with you. All right. So make that a keep on the path you're going on. I can't believe I'm completely making a U turn here. And you're going to earn, if you put money in savings, you're going to be lucky to earn 1%. But if you're paying 17% interest on a car loan, that is a goal you should continue on to pay that off as quickly as you can and be done with it. And then when you are done with it, I would like you to take what you've pushed yourself so hard to get that that, um, money paid off on that car loan, and I'd like you to put that into savings every month. Split 50-50 half into your own Roth IRA and half into just a plain vanilla online savings account so that you have rainy day money. 
So the mortgage I'd want you to keep paying is agreed. Even though psychologically it would feel so great to be mortgage debt free, I, I think that what you do is you leave yourself without a savings cushion right now to get rid of that 17% car loan. And then every month you're essentially writing that check back to yourself after you've paid off that car loan. And I, I just am so impressed with the determination you've shown this year with money. And I wish you continued success with that because what you've done already this year is fantastic. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.